Thank you, Brenna, and thank you, Don, um, for your, your part in all of this. Yeah, you know, it is expensive. Those of you that know me know that I'm a very good steward with my resources. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm very cheap um, to let you know. And so, honestly, I tell you, if we could do this any other way apart from expanding the building and building, we would do it. Uh, I, um, I think, again, a building is just a tool. That's, that's what it is. And once a tool wears out, you get another one, or you get a better one, or you get a bigger one, or whatever, whatever you need. And right now, we are bursting at the seams. I mean, even in this service, and particularly in the children's ministry, it's, yeah, yeah, it's a good problem to have. It's still a problem, and so we want to solve the problem the best we can, and this is the best we can do right now. Um, who knows what God will do in the future? I mean, there may be a, a whole different detour, but this is the direction we feel God's leading us, and so we're going to do it the best way we can, give it the best shot, and it's going to be a fun ride to go through it go through it together. We're, we're in a series that we have been calling Facing My Future, and it kind of fits with where we're going even as a church family. We as a church actually are facing our future, and we not only are facing it, we're shaping it. The decisions that we make today will shape the future of tomorrow, shape what happens um, here at Mariners, even on the coast side in a lot of lives. And, and that's even true with, with you and with me. We're facing our future. The decisions I make today will, will change my tomorrow. We're always always in that kind of a position. What you're deciding to do now affects what's going to be happening later on even in life. And, and, and so as we kind of face our future to guide us, we're, we're going through a series, Facing My Future, and we're looking through a Bible book called Joshua. Now, if you haven't read the book of Joshua, you need to read it. It's a pretty cool book. It's got a lot of action and adventure and movement and all that kind of stuff. It's a great it's a great read. First thing you'll notice when you turn to Joshua, it's in the Old Testament. And that means since it's in the Old Testament, it is God revealing himself, who he is, and what he's like through the nation of Israel. That's what the entire Old Testament about, apart from the book of Job, is God revealing himself through his work through the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, it shifts, it changes. It's God revealing himself, who he is, and what he's like through who? Through Jesus Christ. That's, that's what the New Testament is, is really all about. And the setting of the book, when you look at the book of Joshua, actually the setting of the book or the context is taking the land that God had promised them. They had been in Egypt for 400-some years as slaves, and God had said before that, you're going to get this land called Canaan. We're going to, I'm going to give you this land. It's yours forever. Well, they got out of Egypt. They wandered around for a little bit, and now they have entered into the land of Canaan to begin to take it over. And they're under the command of Joshua. Joshua is the military leader that's in charge of the whole thing. He's a godly guy and wants to do what, what God wants. And what they did is they crossed the Jordan, and they took over some of the fortified cities. And now at this point where we're kind of landing is they've taken over almost all the land. Almost all the land is now theirs, apart from a certain pockets where there are still some rebels that are there that they need to eventually eradicate or, or, or get out. And so what happens, since it's pretty much all the wars and all the battles are pretty much over, they get out a map and they're now going to divide up the territory, okay? They're rolling out the maps and they look at the territory and, and, and Joshua gets out the map and he's get the leaders around and he says, okay, you guys, you guys can have the mountain area. That's your spot right there. That's going to be what you take. And, and, and you guys... You guys get the valleys, and the valleys belong to you. And, and you guys, I like you guys a lot, so you can have the beaches. And I don't like you guys very much, so you can have Bakersfield. So that's what your spot right there. there. And, and actually, believe it or not, as you start to get through this stuff in the book of Joshua, it begins to get really monotonous. 
You think, what in the world? I had all these actions and all these battle plans. But listen to what it says. You're going to get into chapter 13. It says their territory included Jazer and all the towns of Gilead and half the land of Ammon as far as the town of Aor, just west of Rabbah. And, and it goes on and it goes on and on and on. And then it'll go to this clan and this tribe and this group. And it'll be lists and lists and lists of names. But in the midst of all these numbing names, something really cool happens. And I want you to follow along with this. It says, a delegation from the tribe of Judah, led by Caleb, came to Joshua at Gilgal. Now, Caleb is the guy we're going to focus on today. He's the main man. Caleb said to Joshua, remember what the Lord said to Moses, the, the man of God, about you and me when we were at Kadesh Barnea? Now, now, now Caleb's going down memory lane, okay? He's going to talk to Joshua about something that happened 45 years before. I mean, you think about that. Can you remember what happened 45 years ago? I wasn't even born then, you know, so it does not even know. But he's talking about something that happened 45 years ago. And, 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 and it says, and, um, Israel almost took the land 45 years before. Almost took it. But they didn't. So they had to wander around for a bunch of, of times. And this is why. Caleb said, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave from my heart a good report. But my brothers who went with me frightened the people and discouraged them from entering the promised land. For my part, I followed the Lord my God completely. And the story is in Numbers chapter 13 through 14, and and you really need to read it because that's a great story as well. And what happened is Moses said, we're going to take the land, we want to take the land, and so he sent in 12 spies on a recon mission. You know, I like saying recon mission, so they went in on a recon mission to see. 12 went in, 12 came out. And 10 said, we can't beat these guys. They're too big. They're too strong. They're too powerful. 10 said, no way. And 2 said, yes, we can. And the two that said, yes, we can, were Joshua and who? And Caleb. Joshua and Caleb were the guys that said, we, we, we can do this. It's now 45 years later, and Caleb is talking to his old friend Joshua, these two old battle-worn soldiers that are here. And Caleb is reminding him of something that happened 45 years ago. He says, So that day Moses promised me the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your special possession and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Then he says, Now as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Today I am 85 years old. I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. And i got to love this guy. I mean, this is an old crotchety soldier guy who's saying I'm, I'm still a fighter all the way through. He says, so I'm asking you, give me the mountains that the Lord promised me. You remember that as scouts we found the giants living there in great walled cities. But if the Lord is with me, I'll drive him out of the land, just as the Lord said. I I love this guy, you know? I love him. But I can't compare with this guy, you know? I mean, this is Caleb. He's a scout. He's one of the main guys. He's ready to fight giants. I was in an office the other week, and they had one of those motivational posters. Have you ever seen those motivational posters there? They have a beautiful picture with a really nice saying. I'm supposed to motivate the workers, you know, know, all us to work 
Carter or something like that. You know, something like that. And it was something like this, okay? Isn't this cool? You know, it's got a beautiful sunset over the ocean. It says this, potential. Look past the exterior and see that there's so much more within then decide to unleash that potential to the fullest, okay? And there you go. It's got ready to make you all motivated and, and, and highly, highly ready, ready to go. But then you say, wait a second, that's not my life. My life isn't like that. My life is a whole lot more like this, okay? <laughs> Give up. Life's an adventure for most, a concussion for you, you know, because you look back at your life and you think, yeah, my life is more like falling off a bike than it is, is for that. I mean, it's Caleb. I can't touch the guy. I really can't. You know, he's saying, give me the mountain that the Lord has promised me. I'm going to be ready to go fight giants. He's 85 years old and just as strong as he was when he was a kid. He was chosen to scout out the land. And I look at my life and I'm thinking, I was chosen last in dodgeball, you, you know. And, and he wants to get rid of giants in the mountains. And I'm having trouble with gophers in my backyard, you know. My life is like way different than him. And so how can I even touch him? How can I even compare with this guy? I went in to see the doctor this week, and he said, what's wrong? And I said, well, my knee hurts. And so he, they do x-rays, and they do MRIs, and all that kind of stuff. And he, you know, he looks at the films, and he puts them all up. And, and he, he looks at the films, and he looks at me, and he just said, well, you're wearing out. <laughs> And I said, okay. And then he looked at the films again, and he said, you're also getting old. And I said, you had me at wearing out, okay? <laughs> and Caleb is saying, today I'm 85 years old. I'm strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. I'm asking you, give me the mountains the Lord has promised. He's 85. I'm ready to take on the next challenge in his life. So what do I do with this? And, and how do I find this calling thing in my life? And what does it mean to me? Because, and there are some things that we can grab onto in spite of the differences in time and energy and abilities and skills. First of all, number one, always live with a sense of something bigger. And honestly, if, if I could have you walk away with anything from the, the, the well, one of the things here, um, of the ministries here is always consider there's something bigger in your life. As a kid, there was a TV station on, and, and they'd have news, but they wanted to make it interesting, all the news interesting, so they had these features, and there was a slogan for this station. It was down in Southern California, and, and if you grew up there, you, maybe you remember it. It said, because there's always more, there's more to life than news, weather, and sports. Any of you remember that one? There's more to life than news, weather, and sports, you know? And, and I was a kid. I had trouble figuring out how there could be anything more in life than sports, but the saying stuck to my head, Okay. The same just stuck in my head. There's more to life than news, weather, and sports. And this guy, Caleb, had the sense of something was always there, and there's always something bigger. Something is out there, and there's always more to life and more to his life than news, weather, and sports. Something bigger to do and something that God wanted him to accomplish before he died. Uh, three years ago or so, we did focus groups um, here because we were, we were kind of moving into a season, a series where we wanted 
be able to, be able to, to kind of help people through the questions they might have regarding God and God's will and God's plan and God's life and all that. And so we had, we had these two groups, and, and, and one group was people that had been believers in Jesus Christ for a really long time. They had been believers in Christ for, for, a, for a large part of their life. And another group were people that had just found Christ as Savior or actually had not yet even made the decision for Christ. So two very distinct groups. And, and, and the question we asked them um, was, if you could ask God any question, any question at all, you could stand before God right now, if you could ask God any question, what would it be? That's a good question, isn't it? If you could stand before God and ask him any question in life, what would it be? Um, there were some interesting ones. For instance, one was, what happened to the 49ers? <laughs> you know, what happened to the 49ers? They were down pit. But one kept coming up, and this one came up more often than, than all the others. And it was this, God, what is the purpose of my life? Okay? What's the purpose of my life? I mean, why am I really here? And as we began to kind of flush out and tease out that question, people were saying, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I've got my job, or I've got my family, or I've got my career going, or I've got my schooling going on, but I still feel like there might be something more to life. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way? That somehow I'm going to get to the end of this thing, and I've missed a purpose, or there's got to be something a whole lot deeper than, than I've been getting my, my life into. And it told me that all of us, most of us feel that way. There's a great situation in Jesus' life, and, and it's in John chapter 4. And Jesus has this conversation with the woman at the well. And some of you that have read that passage uh, know, know the story behind it. And, and what happened is Jesus is outside the town, and he's at, at, at the well. And the disciples went into town to buy lunch. They're going to go get lunch, and they're going to bring it back out to Jesus. Okay? And so as they're going, as they're going into town to, to in and out um, they're going in there. Um, a woman is actually coming out, and they pass her along the way. You know, they, 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 and she comes out to get water from the well. Of course, Jesus is the only one at the well. And they engage in conversation, Jesus and, and, and this woman. And, and what happens is she is so you know, astounded by Jesus and where he's going and, and what he can do and, and, and all that, that actually she goes back into town. She's going back into town now as the disciples are coming out with their burgers. You know, they're, they're coming out that way. And, and so, so she goes in, and she wants to get all the people in town to come out to see Jesus. And so all of a sudden, she's there for a few minutes, and Jesus and the disciples are there at the well. And, and, and all of a sudden, people start coming out from the town now. They start flooding out. Um, the Bible says this, so the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Now, obviously, he's talking about something deeper, and he's talking about God's will, and he's talking about God's purpose. And they asked this question, though. I mean, this is the disciples. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. It's like, goes right over their head, you know. They, they're, they're still thinking about double-doubles and fries. I mean, it goes completely over their heads here. And it says, then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. I say, wake up, meaning, come on, let's get this thing going. Wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. And if they were to look around, what would they be seeing? They would be seeing people coming to them. And what Jesus is saying is, you know what? There's more to life than news, weather, and sports. More to life than what's for lunch this afternoon. There's more to life 
than who the 49ers are going to pick, number one. There's more to life than your job. More to life than the career path, school you're going to choose. There's more to life than all of that. There's more to life. And that is people and people's relationship with God. My food is to do the will of my Father. And so your role, because you're always saying and we're always asking God, what's your will for my life? Right now, God's will for your life is the people that are around you and connecting them and drawing them closer to the living God and to Jesus Christ. It's people around us helping them find the true God. And that's why God placed you in your world or in your classroom or in your office or in your, your neighborhood. That's why God did it. Joe mentioned that he longs for God to just make him comfortable and he'd rather stay in a comfortable spot. Boy, I relate to that, you know. But here you got Caleb, 85 years old. When most guys are worried about how to get more fiber into their diet, you know, he's saying, I don't want to be comfortable. I don't need my man cave, you know. I want to go fight giants. Next thing is, and this fills this kind of fall, attempt something so big that when it happens, it can only mean that God is there. Again, what's this old guy say? Give me the mountains that the Lord promised me. You'll remember that as scouts we found giants there in great walled towns. If the Lord is with me, I'll drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. Now, underline the words, if the Lord is with me, because that's the thing. He's choosing to do something that basically on human standards, it's not going to happen. We said this before. Who wants to go through life and not see the living God do something? And, and sometimes I think, and, and man, this is a tough one, you know, for me. I sometimes think in my life I dishonor God by attempting things too little, too small, and expecting God to do too little. Great quote I found um, this week by George Leonard, and, and it says this, They're not to dream more boldly may turn out to be, in view of present realities, simply irresponsible. And the present realities are God, you know, who, who God is. I was at a pastor's conference where um, pastors go, you know, and, and hide out for a f- couple days, you know. And, and Rick Warren, he was there, and, 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 and he wrote The Purpose Driven Life, you know, that book that millions and billions have been read. He's a good guy. I really like him, and I really like his, you know, his whole growth and, and how he wants people to grow and what he's done with his church. And, and he, was, he was their super guy. And, and he comes up and he said, and he didn't say it boastingly, he's just, he's just saying it. He says, I just got off the phone with a guy who said he was going to be pledging $15 million to our church. Now, just get your head around that one, $15 million. One gift, one guy, one pledge, you know. And after we, you know, picked our jaws up off the floor, you know, because all of us are just astounded by this, and, and, and he said this. He said, you want a $15 million gift? Then have a $30 million vision. Okay? You understand that? You know, you trust God for this much, and God will provide. You trust for this much, then God, God will provide for that. You know, there's a statement on may, by your faith, it be done for you. What he was wanted to do is he wanted to connect every church possible around the world with the Internet, get them computers, get them stuff so that they can actually have the best access possible to Bible study material and church growth material to help their people grow. And he says it's going to take us about $30 million to do this because we want to gift a lot of churches with all these kinds of things. And somebody said, I believe in that vision. Here I am, $15 million 
to get this thing going. You know, and you just, sometimes we expect too little out of God. I could never forgive that person. I could never forgive them. How big is your God, you know? And we could never repair this relationship, this marriage. How big is your God in that? You know? Contrast Caleb's faith with another group of people. Same scenario, same situation. It says the descendants of Joseph came to Joshua and asked. Okay, here they're coming. Caleb just finished, now they're coming. They asked, why have you given us only one portion of the land when the Lord has given us so many people? I mean, we had a big crowd and you just gave us kind of a little corner right here. We had a lot of people. We only got a little, little bit of territory. And Joshua replied, well, if the hill country is not large enough for you, clear out land for yourself in the lowlands. I mean, it's there. Clear it out, you know. They said the hill country is not enough for us, and the Canaanites and the lowlands have iron chariots. They're too strong for us, you know. They're complaining. They're whining. What a contrast. You have, they have iron chariots. We can't do anything. And you have Caleb. Give me the mounds because that's where the giants are. And I'm going to go to a place where there are giants because I want my God to be known as one who helps me beat giants. It's not that Caleb was an idealist and others were realists. Caleb was a believer and the others refused to be. And, and that kind of moves us... To the last thing, and this is for all of us to know your God. And, 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 and I didn't put this right, I didn't word it right, but I didn't know how else to word it. Because know your God, it sounds either too theological or too abstract. But, but I want it to be personal because there's something that Caleb keeps saying, and you have to read it again and again to catch it. Because he keeps saying, the Lord my God, the Lord my God, the Lord my God. And, and, if, and if you hear that too much, sometimes you just, you just turn, yeah, he said the Lord my God, okay. Um, but there's a lot more to that phrase than just a first meets the eye. There is a title here when he uses the term the Lord. And that's the close name for God, the personal name for God. The name that God gave to the Israelites to say, this is who I am. I am the self-existent one. And you can, as my chosen people, call me that. Sometimes you'll hear in songs, Yahweh. It's just simply the Hebrew term for the God, God Almighty, the Eternal One. God's personal name. God's personal name. And what he's saying is, I could have followed other gods. Of all the gods out there, I could have followed Lod. I could have followed them, but I chose to follow the Lord, this one. This is the God, this God right here. There are other gods out there, Babylonian gods and Egyptian gods and Canaanite gods. I chose to follow this one, the one of Israel, the one of the Bible. This is the one I follow. This is the one I know. And he is the Lord, what? My God. He's mine. He's mine. My God. And I know him. I know him. And so we're thinking about Easter Sunday, and Easter is a really big thing here. You know, we, you know a lot of half the town comes here, and it's really cool, and we love it, and, and all that. And, and kind of a little trade secret, pastors love and hate Easter, you know, because there's a lot of pressure, you know, to do it right and do it well. And so we kind of struggle with this one. And also, you know, we, we complain, how many different ways can you talk about the resurrection? You know, I've done this for 30 years, and there's only kind of one message here, and so you try and think of creative ways to do it. And, and, and we also know that a lot of people who are coming are a little skeptical about the whole deal. You know, what's this all about? And, and so we want to convince them to trust God through Christ. And, and every pastor has in, in their back pocket 
um, kind of the whole five or ten reasons that prove the tomb was an empty message, you know. I've got five reasons, or I've got ten solid reasons to prove to you forensically and, you know, through all kinds of investigative reporting methods, you know, that why the tomb was empty. And we try and sometimes argue people into knowing God through the evidence. It's rarely worked in my experience. What if we showed people not an argument for God, but evidence of the personal part of God in our lives, what God has done for us? For I believe in all of this, not because there is a God out there. I don't believe because there is a God out there. I believe because there is this God, this God. And he's a God of grace, and he's a God of love, and he's a God of forgiveness. Caleb said, I can move forward not because of self-confidence, not because my stars are all aligned, not because of the power of positive thinking. I can move forward because I know this God, this one. And he loves me. And I have said that Joshua is in the Old Testament. The Old Testament reveals who God is and what he is like as he deals with the nation of Israel. And the New Testament is how God reveals himself through Jesus. And you're saying, yeah, 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 I know. You said that nine times. And let's get on with it. But let's not for a second, okay? In Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, it says this, and I'm going to paraphrase. It says, long ago, God spoke in the Old Testament through the prophets. That would be the book of Joshua, for instance. And now he's spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Here it is. But we're not done. It says in Hebrews 10, it says, For God's will was for us to be made right by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. What it's saying is this is the God that's there, the God that you can trust. And so Caleb, the whole basis of everything he was able to do is because he said, he is the Lord. He is my God. My God is the Lord. This kind of a God. He didn't just simply say, I know that God exists out there. He is the Lord and he's mine. And I would like for us to go to him one more time this morning in prayer. And I'm going to invite you to bow with me and pray. He is the Lord who wants to be your God. He really does. And maybe you're facing something just monumental. Giants in the mountains with walls. And your wall might be a crumbling relationship. How are you going to get through the next three months? Your wall may be something so deep you can't even talk about it. How is God going to get you through it? He's the Lord, your God. Maybe you need to forgive. He's forgiven you. He will walk with you as you take those steps. Maybe you need to have peace in what's going through, you're going through. I know God brings people here for a variety of reasons. Some, this is your church family, and some of you may be have come because you've just heard about mariners and things that are going on here and 
Maybe you were tugged to come here by something deeper within. You want to know God deeper. Something is here. and In your program, there are actually a couple of prayers. One is a seeker's prayer. It's just your commitment to get to know this God. We welcome you to do that. There's also one that's a decider's prayer. And, and the decider's prayer says, and maybe this is where you're at right now. You want to say, I want to say yes to Jesus. And it says this, God, I believe Jesus Christ was who he claimed to be, your son. And Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross. As much as I know how, I accept your free gift of life and I accept your gift of forgiveness. I want you to come in and I want to be a follower of Christ. That's who I want to be. And if you are praying that prayer for the first time, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, you just simply slip up your hand really quick, drop it down. Thank you. Thank you for that. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity we have to trust you in faith. And thank you, Lord, for mountains with giants and walled cities. Thank you for the challenges because we can trust in you more and more. Bless these people. Bless them highly as they seek you in Jesus' name. Hey, thank you guys for being part of today. Um, I'm glad that you're here. If you have any questions about anything, we hang around after the service for you. If you want prayer, great group of people that pray there. And make sure you grab your handbook and your box on on your way out. We're going to stand together. We're going to finish with a final song. Um, Joe Colella is leading, by the way. Joe has a signature song. And uh, hold on tight and hop on because he's going to be playing it, all right?